We are going to be in Luke. We're going to be all over, but we're going to be in Luke first. Go to Luke 19. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Well, good morning. I didn't introduce myself yet. I am Tim Serrano. I get to work with our middle school and our high school and our college students. Me and my wife get the absolute privilege of working with the best team that God ever assembled. We get to do it every single week. We've been doing it for a long time now, and we, uh, there's no end in sight. It's the best job of all time. I think I said last time, I really recommend it <laughs> if you want to do that. Youth ministry is a great career. We, this, today is Palm Sunday. Did any of you guys know that? Palm Sunday. And when I was growing up, I would say, the, the, the pastor would say, Hosanna, and then the crowd would respond with what? Hosanna in the highest, absolutely. We're not going to do that today. Um, we are going to read it. Palm Sunday, this is like Holy Week, you guys. We, we get to celebrate what Jesus did for us. And specifically this week, we should do it like all of the weeks, but we get to like, this is a special week for us. And we can start it off with Palm Sunday, and I'm so grateful I get the opportunity and the privilege to talk today, to speak uh, and use what God has given me and talk about Jesus and Palm Sunday. So we're going to start in Luke 19. Um, Before we get into it, I just want us to start by ending. And the question that I want to ask or maybe answer for all of us today, or you're going to ask yourself this, is who are you in this story? We aren't the kind of church that like preaches like the, the Bible is completely about you and go slay your giants and those kinds of things, but we can find ourselves in characteristics in the humans in the Bible. We're all human. We all have a, a sin nature that we're born with. And we want, I want us to come down with this question and maybe answer it for ourselves. Who, who am I in this story? There are a lot of key players in the story that we're going to go over. We're going to go over like his triumphal entry. That's probably what the title of your passage says, triumphal entry. And then we're also going to talk about uh, Thursday night going into Friday morning. We're not going to get to the cross necessarily. We're going to get right there this morning. And I want us, there's some key players here that we're going to be talking about this morning. And I want to say, who am I? Who am I in this story? All right, let's get into it. Luke 19, verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet. So Jesus is going and Jesus, this is, remember, this is Palm Sunday. Jesus knows what's about to happen to him this week. Just think about Jesus. Think about, all right, this is the week, and he's headed up to Jerusalem. Now, Bethphage and Bethany, they're like two miles east of Jerusalem, and he stops there. He's going to be very purposeful about how he enters into Jerusalem because of all of the scriptures that prophesied about him. 
He's going to enter in a certain way on a certain animal we know. But Jesus' state of mind is something that, as I'm, I was studying throughout this week, is just, I mean, we don't really know until the end of, like, kind of this passage what he's really thinking. He's just like, this is what has to be done. And he knows. He knows he's going to have to suffer a very terrible fate here in, like, five days. He knows that. Let's keep going. He sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt on which no one has ever sat yet. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. Think about being the owner of that colt, right? They go and they start like basically stealing this donkey and the owners come out and they say, well, um, that's ours. Sorry, we're going to need that. And then they say, oh, sorry, the Lord needs it. Think about trying to like, okay, uh, uh, okay. <laughs> if you're the owners, right, let's keep going. If anyone asks, why are you untying it? You shall say the Lord has need of it. Verse 32 So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them, and as they were untying it, the colt, its owner said to them, why are you doing this? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And that's it. They're like, okay, well, that's the trump card of all trump cards. You can have it. The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on it, they set Jesus on it. So he goes in, you guys, and other... Uh, gospels make a big deal of saying this is why they got the cult because of the prophecies in the old testament that's why he did this and in john it says they didn't even know that they the disciples didn't even know until like way later that well that's why because they weren't like well versed on the old testament or they weren't thinking of it they were just like okay it's gonna be passover soon let's go in and afterwards, they were like, oh, that's why he did that. Jesus is, was very purposeful the whole time he was alive, but he's so purposeful in saying, all right, this is how I need to go because of the Old Testament prophecies that were going to be fulfilled through Jesus. There's 48, the, the scholars say there's 48 major prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in his life. We're not going to go through all of them. That would be a lot, but he, he did. Trust me, I promise, he did. He fulfilled all of them. And this is just one of them. He says, I'm, it says, he will ride in on a colt. Never sat on until this moment. They put their cloaks on it. As he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God. I love this song that we just sang. Travis and I didn't coordinate at all, but he just, the all hail King Jesus. We're going to see kind of that phrase here, the King of the Jews, hail King of the Jews here in a second. But how prescient is that? Because this is what they would be saying right now. 
as they're going in. And it says all of his disciples, it would have just been like this, all of this crowd that were around. And the scriptures say that Lazarus, he just raised Lazarus up from the dead. So this whole crowd is going to come and see, wait, that guy that raised Lazarus from the dead is coming. So they go to see him. There's an actual guy that raised someone from the dead. So they want to go see it. And we're going to see here in a second that everybody that comes and is proclaiming this, Hosanna, Hosanna the highest, peace on earth, blessed be the king. We're going to see that everybody that is shouting this is not one of his followers. But they get swept up saying, okay, this is really cool. They don't have Netflix back then. So like, let's go see this guy that raised someone from the dead. That'd be pretty cool, right? So they go. And when Jesus comes in, we're not going to read it here, but like there's four different gospel accounts of this. And one of the gospel accounts say, as he's coming in, the whole city of Jerusalem stirred. They knew something was happening right now. We know, because we have 2,000 years to look back at this and say, not, that whole city did not get saved by Jesus. We know that. But they definitely knew that he was here and something was going to happen. So a crowd gathers and they're going to start proclaiming this thing. And they're literally receiving him like he is royalty. He's a king. They treat him like this. But I promise you, if you are like identifying with the crowd right now, you're going to want to take a step back and say, I don't know. Let's keep reading. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, a whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. They knew who this Jesus was, and they praised him for it. Verse 38, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Other versions say, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna saying, Save now. They are identifying this man riding in on the, on the donkey as the Messiah. Make no mistake about it. This Messiah, whom they would have grown up kind of saying, oh yeah, there's, there's kind of a Messiah that we talk about. The Old Testament talks about it a whole lot. And they would have been waiting a whole long time for a Messiah. And just to hear even whispers of that word coming true in one man, that would be definitely enough to stir up a whole city, the Messiah. And so as the crowd, as he comes in and there's a crowd around him, they say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. This king, Messiah, the saving one, blessed is he. And they're chanting it over and over, Hosanna, Hosanna. Other versions of the gospel say they're laying down the palm branches because he's royalty. He is the king. They're laying down their outer garments to come in and welcome him. This is a huge deal that's happening right now. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This is the only gospel that records that part of their chants. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Verse 39. And some, we always talk about the Pharisees and their wet blankets, and they they are just rising to the occasion again. 
They're all proclaiming and something is happening and Jesus is coming and they're like, this is royalty. And he's coming in, they put their robes down and the Pharisees come in and say, hey, Jesus, you want to do something about these people? Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Why? The disciples, the people, the crowd, they're gathering, they're, they're proclaiming him to be king. That's why they're saying, rebuke them. They're saying, you're the Messiah. And the Pharisees are saying, what? You're letting this happen, Jesus? You're letting them call you king? Stop it. I love Jesus' response. It should give all of us chills. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Like, wow, can I please get an amen, right? He says, if I said, it it would be futile if I said, hey, stop calling me king. The actual stones, creation would groan and cry out and say, Hosanna. How awesome is that? And what a drop the mic response from Jesus, right? He's like, it would do no good. He's, He's proclaiming, he's saying, it's true what they are saying. So true that if I muted all of them right now, the rocks would cry out and say, blessed is the king. Now we think of Palm Sunday as this like really happy time. And we think, yeah, of course, 2,000 years later, we, get, we know what's going to happen on Friday and next Sunday. We know that. Jesus and his state of mind, we, we see revealed in the next three or four verses. We say, Oh, this is how Jesus was feeling. He comes in. Remember, this is like a two-mile jaunt on a donkey. And he goes and he sees Jerusalem. And this is what he says in verse 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. First of all, he knows exactly what's going to happen. And he knows the inhabitants of the city. And how they are going to feel about all of this. How they're going to turn in five days. But he is sorrowful. And yes, we get to celebrate because we know what's coming. And Jesus knew what's coming. So much so that he's sad and he weeps seeing Jerusalem. As he knows their fate. Ultimately, 40 years later, basically, this is what he's going to say. He wept over it, verse verse 42. He's just kind of talking to himself, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. He's saying all of this is according to the plan. In the Old Testament, it says that Israel will reject the cornerstone. Jesus, he knows that. And he's saying, if you guys just knew. Regardless, it's all going according to plan. Verse 43. For the days will come upon you. He's literally predicting the future 40 years from now. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you. He's talking about the whole city of Jerusalem 
Enemies will barricade around you and surround you and hem you on every side. This would happen in AD 70 when the, whole, when the Romans come around, they barricade the whole city and they level everything. And partly as a punishment for what's about to happen. And tear you down to the ground. The temple, residences, buildings, everything leveled brick by brick. You and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. I am the Messiah and you do not know. You don't truly know. He says this just seconds after they're proclaiming, blessed is the king. So he's saying, yeah, you guys say that, but I know. The crowd is, is fickle, and we know that. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 27 now. That's the triumphal entry. That's what we get to celebrate, Palm Sunday. He comes on Sunday, and he does a whole bunch of work through all the way until Thursday, and then Friday, and we know what happens on Sunday, right? Go to Matthew chapter 27. Jesus knows what's happening. 27 verse 11. I want us to remember that phrase. The phrase, he says, you and your children. Bring the whole city down on everybody. Tens of thousands of people would have died in 70 AD. This is 40 years later. You and your children. I just want to kind of fast forward, and then we're going to go back here really quickly. Um, Go to verse 25. We're going to go back to 11 really quick. But Pilate is basically, I find this man innocent. And he says, he washes hands, and he says, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. Verse 25, and all the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. This is, remember, we fast-forwarded all the way to Friday, all the way to like Friday morning where they're about to go to the cross, and there's been so many different trials, and Jesus is like, I'm innocent. He's like, Pilate finds Jesus innocent, and he says, God, what, what should we do with this guy? And he's like, I'm going to wash my hands of it. And the crowd is so hate-filled in this moment that they say, it's okay if his blood is on us. May it be on us and on our children. How stark of a contrast, Friday morning from Sunday afternoon, when they say, blessed be the king, this is the Messiah. That was the punishment that we just read in Luke. All right, let's go back to verse 11. Now, Jesus stood before the governor. He's been arrested at this point. Judas has betrayed him. He's had the Last Supper. All of those things have taken place already. He's gone through a couple different trials with the the Jewish tribal, the council. And now they've kind of given him over to, to Pilate. They've got a whole bunch of people that have lied. And they say, he did this, he did this. And now he goes to the, the governor. Jesus stood before the governor. And the governor asked, are you... The king of the Jews, Jesus said, you have said so. Other versions say, what you say is true. 
He's saying, yes. Are you king of the Jews? He said, yeah. But maybe not in the way you mean it. Verse 12. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. So they're still here, and they're saying he called himself Jesus. He's doing all of these accusations against Jesus, and Jesus doesn't answer them at all. Then Pilate said to him, sorry, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, this is verse 13, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. If you're innocent and you are about to die, the normal response would be, I'm innocent, or like maybe even raising your voice a little bit and saying, I'm innocent. Why are you leading me? Why is this? I'm being railroaded. I've never done anything wrong. And Jesus, knowing what needs to take place, stays silent. He's saying, this is what is supposed to happen. Go to verse 15, Matthew 27. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they, and they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. We know this guy. We've all heard this story. Barabbas, other, all the different gospels, there's a whole description of this guy. He's an insurrectionist. He's part of this like gang that tried to like be one of the insurrectionists. He's a zealot. He, they call him a robber, a thief, and a murderer. This guy is a murderer. And it says he's notorious. I looked up the definition of that. Notorious is well-known or famous, usually for a bad quality or deed. That means everybody around would have been like, that's Barabbas. I'm not going to mess with that guy. Pilate says, I find this guy innocent. I, this guy is innocent, so like, you're, we're, let's give up one guy. It was the custom to give one guy to the people and say, you go free. And he's saying, I'm going to pick like the baddest guy in comparison to Jesus, who I know is innocent. And in comparison, they'll be like, of course they'll choose Jesus. And he'll be like, okay, I've, I've, I've washed my hands of it, and he's innocent now. Now he gets to go free. At least that's what he thought would happen. Verse 17. So when they gathered, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release for you? Barabbas? Remember who Barabbas is, a murderer. He's a murderer and well known for it. Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ. For he knew, guys, check this out. He knows the politics that's happening right now. He knows how famous Jesus has gotten, the crowd, the following that Jesus has gotten. And he knows the chief priests are irked, to put it mildly. This is what he says. For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. He's looking at Jesus and saying, this is an innocent man. The only reason this man is standing before me right now is because people are jealous of him. That's the only reason he's done nothing wrong. That's why he says, here's Barabbas, this terrible person, and here's Jesus. Who do you choose? 
Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife, this is the only time this is recorded in all of the other gospels, his wife, he's sitting on the judgment seat and he's like, I don't know what to do. These people are going to be really mad at me if I let them go. And then maybe they'll go over my head and talk to Caesar about it. Maybe they'll start like a riot and I can't have another one of those on my record. So when he's sitting on the judgment seat, he's got this like, he's filled with like, this, he's like, I don't know. What, what should I do? And then he has this message from his wife out of nowhere saying, have nothing to do with that righteous man. Wow. For I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Even his wife is getting in on the, uh, an opinion about this guy, about this Jesus. She's saying, don't touch that man with a 10-foot pole. I can't sleep because of a vision that I've had. I'm deeply disturbed and troubled because God gave me some vision. Don't. He's righteous. That's what righteous means. Don't touch that righteous man. Verse 20. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. That's how much, you guys, that's how much they hated Jesus. Not because of anything that Jesus had ever done personally to them. He had said, I am I'm king. That's what he said. He's like, yeah, I am king. I am the Messiah. I'm telling the truth. And they hated him for it because of the crowds. Before Jesus came along, the crowds would say, okay, chief priest, tell us what you know and gather around them. And now that's not happening. They're like, okay, we're going to go see what Jesus is doing now. So they hated and despised him for it. And it wasn't just enough. Kill Jesus. They wanted to destroy him. So the chief priests are out in the crowd and they're saying, hey, pick Barabbas, pick Barabbas, pick Barabbas. And maybe the crowd's like, you're talking about Barabbas, Barabbas? The murderer, Barabbas? But that's the way the crowd was going. And so they all start saying, no, Barabbas, release Barabbas. The crowd's fickle, right? One moment they were like, he raised Lazarus from the dead? He's king. And then the chief priests were like, hey, pick Barabbas. Pick him. Shout it. And then they do. They persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Verse 21. The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. This would have blown Pilate's mind. They were like, this guy, Jesus, versus a murderer? And they said, yeah, they were like, yeah, him. Pilate said to them, what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they all said, let him be crucified. We're going to pick up the rest of the story. Go to John 19, please. In this moment, this is where we pick it up. John 19, verse 1. They're saying, it's not just enough. Like, like imprison Jesus. Like, get him out of public eye. They say specifically the word, crucify him. 
And they would have known that is the worst form of Roman torture and capital punishment available. And that's what they say. It's not just enough. They want him destroyed and tortured. Crucifixions would last for days sometimes. For absolute days. And then most of the time they wouldn't die because they bled out or anything. They would die because they asphyxiate. They can't breathe anymore after days of agony. And that's the word that they choose for Jesus the Christ. Because the chief priest stirred them up and the crowd says, crucify him. Verse 19, verse 1, uh, chapter 19, verse 1 in John. Then Pilate took Jesus. This is right after they say, crucify him. They've picked Barabbas, took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. Remember, this is because he said, king of the Jews. They were king of the Jews as he was walking in. They put a crown on him, but a mocking crown, and they shove it into his head. And then they put a purple robe on him because that's the color of royalty. They are mocking him now. These are the Roman soldiers that are doing this. First of all, they flogged him. 39 lashes. And then they put the crown of thorns on him, put it on his head. They put a a reed in his hand. Some other versions say as like a scepter to mock him even further. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. As we just sang that, right? All hail King Jesus. They say it mockingly. I hope as we're singing it, we're saying it not mockingly. We're saying it. Hail, actual King. Hail, King of the Jews. And struck him with their hands. These are the the soldiers. They're saying, King of the Jews, King of the Jews. And hitting him after They've shoved that crown of thorns into his head and flogged him. Jesus would have just been like beat to note beyond recognition. And they're still mocking him and punching him. And Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. He's hoping that bringing Jesus out looking so terrible that they would have compassion on him. Okay, he didn't do anything. Let him go. You see, see, I'm bringing him out. Look, he's, not, he's innocent. Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, behold the man. Look, look at him. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, remember, they're like, oh man, he looks bad. Maybe the crowd will have sympathy for him. And they start screaming out again, crucify him, crucify him. Get the crowd worked up into a frenzy again. And then the crowd starts saying, yeah, crucify him, yeah. Pilate said to them, then take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. Remember, this version doesn't record it, but he's got, the, he's got what his wife, his wife's message in the back of his head saying, don't have anything to do. Don't touch that righteous man. So he's trying as best as he can. No, just get him away from me. He's saying, if you guys want him crucified so much, then you, you do it. The Jews answered him, we have a law. 
And according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. And Pilate would have heard this and all the commentaries that I read this week would have said, wait, he's saying he's the son of God? And Romans would have been crazy superstitious. And he's like, whoa, whoa okay, he's, he's saying that? And this is what he says. And Pilate heard this statement, this is verse 8, he was even more afraid. So if, if he is the son of God, does he have like divine powers? So he's even more afraid and like upset. He's like, okay, what, what's going on with this guy? Nine, he, enters his, he entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you know that I have authority to release you or to crucify you? And Jesus knows what's going to happen. He had just spent all night praying in the garden. If this cup can pass from me, let it. He knows it won't pass from him. He knows this is why he is here in Jerusalem at this moment, to die for the sins of the world. So he doesn't answer. He's like, I'm not going to fight back. I know what's supposed to happen here. And this is also his answer. Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. He's saying this is all happening how it's supposed to happen. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Pilate's not working with all of the information here. He's saying either, he's either alluding to Judas or to Caiaphas, the chief priest, saying those guys have the greater sin. You just have authority to do this. You don't have any authority unless it was given to you. And this is what is supposed to happen. Verse 12. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. Other versions say he made efforts to release him. He's like trying to get out of this. He's like, okay, there's something special about this guy. I know it. Remember when Jesus, and he was in front of the council and governor was there and Jesus said, um, yeah, I don't have anything to say. And he marveled at that. He was amazed at Jesus. He meets this guy and immediately he's like, there's something about this guy. And he's amazed. And Pilate could just let him go. He tried to release him, but the Jews cried out. This is so ironic, so hypocritical. If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Do you think the Jews gave a rip about what what Caesar thought at all? And they use that against Pilate because they know the emperor or the the Caesar at that time, Tiberius, he was erratic and he had brutal punishments. And they were like, but what about Caesar if you release him? And the Jews hated Caesar and they hated being oppressed by the Romans and they're trying to use that. That's so disgusting, right? They would have hated him. And they're saying, you're not a friend of Caesar if you let him go. how blind they were with their own hatred that they were saying, get rid of the Messiah and we're going to be on Caesar's team in this one. Wow. You're not a friend of Caesar's. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. He's saying, if you're taking the law into your own hands, if you do not crucify him and you're making yourself a king and Caesar's not going to like that, Ugh, it's disgusting, right? Sounds like a little brother, like, well, what about mom? <laughs> right? It's just, ugh, I don't like it. I have little siblings, you can tell. 
So when Pilate heard these words, he was like, oh yeah, Caesar. He brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat. Right now, they use the, the smarter people than I use the word capitulate. There's a pressure from the crowd and he's going to bow down to it. He knows Jesus is innocent. His wife has given him this message. Don't touch him. He's a righteous man. He doesn't want another riot. Doesn't want Caesar to kill him. So he's going to bow down to the pressure, even though he sees something in Jesus. Remember, he's amazed by him. Sat at the judgment seat at the place called the Stone Pavement and in Aramaic Gabbatha or Gabbatha. Now it was the day of the preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. It would have been early in the morning. He said to the Jews, behold your king. And he says this mockingly. Not mocking Jesus necessarily, but like, look at this. Look what you guys did. He says, behold your king. This king, this is suited for you. Behold your king. And he's mocking them. He's like, God, so frustrated by this. But he's going to bow to it. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to him one last time, shall I crucify your king? Again, mocking them. He's saying, look what you're doing to an innocent man. Shall I crucify this? And here they go again. The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. Ah, so gross. Again, they're saying Caesar's our king. Forget about this guy. Do you think they cared about Caesar? And they're saying, crucify him, Caesar's our king. That's how blindly they were following after their hatred. None of this shocks Jesus. He says this is all going according to plan. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. <clears throat> That's our story. We get on Sunday, the whole crowd says, blessed be the king. Blessed be Hosanna in the highest. And they put palm branches down for him in outer garments. He's our king. They're treating him like actual royalty. And five days later, they're saying, give him the worst imaginable capital punishment. We have no king but Caesar. The crowd is fickle. And I started this whole thing out by saying, who are you? Who are you in this story? I'm under no illusions that everybody in this room is like on the same page as me, as Pastor Mark, as anybody that I know. Maybe you're like all the way on the other end where you're like, you're like the chief priest and your hatred is just like, ah, he's done, he's allowed so much stuff to happen to me. No, no. Or maybe you're like Pilate and you're like, man, I see something. I see something in Jesus, but societal pressure, you're like, ah, and ultimately you're like, I don't, I don't, 
okay, I'm just going to bend. Are you like the crowd? Five days earlier, they're saying, wow, look at the wonders that he's done. Look at him. He's so awesome. And maybe sometimes you go to church and you like feel some of those wonders like, yeah, Jesus. And then when the crowd goes another way, you're like, yeah, but I'm not, I don't really associate with that. Crucify him. We didn't talk about this guy, but Peter would have been one of the followers to follow after him for three years And Peter, we all know Peter. He's like the most relatable guy because he'll be like, I confess that you are the one and only king. And and Jesus asks him one time and they say, you want to leave too? As a lot of disciples are like, this is too hard. And Jesus asks him, are you want to leave? You want to leave? You want to leave also? And he says, where would we go? You have the words of life. And maybe you can identify with that. Like, yeah, Jesus does have the words of life. And in this moment, when all of this is happening, remember Peter's story is, God, we will die with you. And hours later, he, re- he denies him three times. I definitely identify with Peter in that moment. All the way on the other end of the spectrum, and nobody in here is Jesus, but Jesus knows He's got a human side. He's 100% human, 100% God. He's got this human side that he's praying in the garden, saying, if, this, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me, this cup meaning this punishment, what I'm about to go through, just let it pass from me. And he knows that there's not, and he goes forward with it. He enters in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and he says, I know what's about to happen, and it has to happen. He follows after what God has for him. And none of us are Jesus. But I think if we say we're Christ followers, we should be striving for that, right? I think we find ourselves kind of, if we're followers of Jesus, we know we've been saved. We definitely find ourselves with like, yeah, I identify with Peter. I put my foot in my mouth a whole lot. Where are you in that journey? Who are you? Just be honest with yourself. If you're like vehemently against God, then just be honest with yourself about that. Ask yourself why. We know the chief priests hated him because they were jealous, envious. And maybe you're like, I'm not that strong. Are you a crowd that goes back and forth? Ask yourself, why? Where am I in this journey? Who am I in this journey? And why? If I'm not a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, why? Let me pray for us. God, I thank you so much for the triumphal entry that we get to celebrate every single Palm Sunday, God. I find myself, I think this is true of myself and, and people in this room, that we forget about the Palm Sundays, just living our daily lives every single year, God, and then we come and we're so grateful for what you're about to do in Holy Week, and then we kind of just maybe aren't following after you as much as we should, God. Maybe we're a Peter one minute. You have the words of life, and you're saying, yeah, but I, I don't identify with sometimes. God, we know that you are the only one 
who saves. I pray if there are people in this room right now that don't know if they are a follower of you, you convict them in their hearts to follow after you from this day forward. I pray for those of us that know that we are saved, God, but don't always act like it. We can act like a Peter sometimes. God, I pray that you embolden us in this Holy Week season as Easter is coming up to to speak your, your word, God, and to say you love the world, God, to pray for the people around us and proclaim you to them. I pray that you give us that boldness. Thank you so much, God. In Jesus' name, amen.